92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. The best athletes on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We're in the building and we're with you from 12 to 3 p.m. Walker Mail, Wes Bryant, Josh, Air Fitty, Marlowe, all with you here. <laughs> For the next three hours, feel free to text in, share your thoughts and comments via the Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. And you can follow us on Twitter at Wesson Walker, W-E-S-A-N-D-W-A-L-K-E-R and the show and the entire channel at WFNZ because we have the video montage that we promised you yesterday where T-Bone, it all started a couple days ago when T-Bone picked me to win a Charlotte Celebrity media dunk contest and i didn't know if i could still dunk it'd been a long time and i had kind of refrained from going out there and testing because i didn't want to fail i was afraid of failure wes <laughs> aren't and we you, all and yesterday we went out there and i was going to fail in front of everybody that is the charlotte sports market that cares if i can dunk or not and we tried it out and we put together you put together an excellent video. We gave you some content. Yeah, I got to give my girl credit, man. She did nice on the edit. So this was your girlfriend who created a lot of this. Yeah, she created the reel. I just shot the footage and conceptualized everything. Okay, well, big shout then. Yeah, yeah. Very much appreciate it because yeah. the, the NBA on NBC theme music in the background yeah. was an extremely nice touch. Yeah, I said that we definitely needed to have that. Uh-huh. It, was, it was great. And so we tried it out, and I was able to slam it. Uh, slam it might be too too strong of a word. I was able to oh, dunk you it. Did? Technically, I dunked it. Yeah. Yes, it was a straight arm, not a whole lot of air between me and the ground, <laughs> but I was able to dunk it. And then we got excellent fitty highlights. Mac and Bone want more fitty highlights. They were so they were so good, and we were both <laughs> out of breath afterwards. Very much so. Yeah, man, you guys were gas. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was so gas. I I tried a couple times. I was like, all right, I need to save. For the actual I mean, like here. 15 minutes, 20 minutes after Fiddy was still like wincing, like <laughs> just, it hurt him to breathe. No, the best part, though, is that Fiddy heavy breathing after putting together that montage on what was probably what a six and a half, seven foot basketball goal. Yeah, I'm not giving that seven feet. I'd say probably about six and a half. OK, might be right. So so on that size goal. Fitty out of breath, and I'm not going to clown him because I was out of breath as well. He was like, "Man, I'm just, I'm just going to go to cookout and get a milkshake after this." <laughs> he yeah. was so ready to bust that U-turn and go to cookout. And he get didn't a go though. He, no, didn't, he go. didn't. He refrained because the U-turn was too much work at that point. But the milkshake <laughs> that was certainly something on the horizon. Well, let's talk more about the highlight video. Plus, we've heard from both coordinators now. Ajero Avero, he spoke with media yesterday. We heard from Thomas Brown, the offensive coordinator. He spoke just a little while ago. Heard from Dom Capers and his excellent hairline. And then in just a moment, we're actually going to speak with UNC Asheville basketball coach Mike Morell to talk about what has been an excellent season for the Bulldogs. So we'll get to that actually in just about seven minutes worth of time. What better way to do all of it than by getting off of the bus Air Marlowe, the bus driver, Lil Country, open up the doors, man. Let's get off the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! Kick it! I can feel it. We had somebody write into the text line that Fitty needs to speak to prove he's still alive. Are you still with us here, Fitty? 
I am here in spirit. My body is somewhere else. Okay. It's still on the courts, but that's okay. <laughs> it's still you, in the air. You love basketball. You are a hoop head, as you call yourself, and so it is the right place for your soul to land. Now, one thing is, I was talking with Jeff a little bit earlier, and he's one that chose you to win a dunk contest, yeah. and I let my haters fuel me. And my own boss, my own boss didn't even believe in me that I could get it done, but I got it done. And you think once you get your knee acting right, maybe, just maybe you can go yeah, up there maybe and get I the job done. Yeah, maybe I might go out there and try a drop step or two and see see what we got. But, you know, I can't make any promises. Well, he was surprised that you couldn't get the job done. But I'm like, look, man, at 39 years old, that is not a threshold that I've hit yet. But both <laughs> of them have. Both Jeff and Colin have. And yet yeah. still, I didn't get a whole lot of understanding from them, from you not being able to dunk. But these are people that have passed 39. And yeah. they still weren't buying the excuse. But I'm not really seeing them dunk, I guess, as well. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I could give a damn, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I could still hoop. You get me out there on the court, I can get buckets. But, uh, you know, dunking just has, has never been my thing. But I feel like, though, uh, as I said, especially when I, you know, shed weight, when I'm light, I can definitely uh, get up there and slam it in. So we'll we'll see. That might be the next video. Yeah, see if I see if I still got. It. Yeah, we're we're getting we're getting lots of feedback on it again. You can go follow us on Twitter at Wes and Walker W E S A N D W A L K E R. Let's just give a little taste about some of the coordinator conversation before we move on to UNC Asheville basketball coach Mike Morell going to be joining us in just a moment. I'll just give you my first impressions of each of these coordinators and both really impressive. Look. They're going to give you a lot of cliche talk. We've talked about it when Frank Reich was answering questions. We talked about it with his introductory press conference. We can't talk about winning the introductory press conference because it's only significant if you lose. Like, it's the easiest thing to do to come in and speak to media and do the whole rah-rah thing and tell you about their philosophy and actually win all of it. But it is exactly what happened with Thomas Brown and Ajero Avero, who spoke yesterday. I was impressed with Thomas Brown. The, the only thing that I think you go to and say there's actually some specifics in which he's talking about offensive philosophy here. He did talk a lot about eye candy, creating more chaos within the offense to make it harder for the defense to adapt to what they're doing. And he talked about putting a lot of guys in motion. That is something I really like because I don't think we got enough of that under Ben McAdoo. I thought McAdoo was very average. I think there's a lot of people that could not stand the offense that he was running. And I thought it was a little underrated because you have Sam Darnold and then when Steve Wilkes took over it seemed like there was a lot better straight line message between the top and the bottom yeah. where they just weren't running the ball as much with Matt Rule as head coach I think Steve Wilkes came in and they decided to stick with that a lot more but I like what I heard from Thomas Brown today and I, I do like the idea of having more motion in the backfield yeah and I mean you see a lot of the great offenses in the league do that whether you talk about it's the Rams where he came from even though that offense wasn't that great the the past year, but you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, the Philadelphia Eagles, teams like that, they do employ a lot of motion because it helps define the defense. It helps the quarterback to kind of know, even though when you get really good defensive coordinators, they kind of know that and they game plan for that, so they may switch up their looks, but especially for a young quarterback, a team that may have a rookie at the helm uh, at some point during the season, that, that helps them a lot to be able to define pre-snap what the defense is doing so that they can at least have some semblance of an idea of where to go with the football. 
He's a big uh, physical guy at all positions. That's another thing that he talked about, being physical at every single position on the offensive side. And so that's something that's kind of cliche as well. But he did speak about it, how that is a non-negotiable, I believe, is the phrase that he used for that. And something we can get to a little bit later on in the show when we talk about this specific player. But if we go to Averro's comments yesterday, he discussed how Brian Burns was one of the reasons that he found this job attractive. And we talked about it a little bit, too. You have a key piece really at every single level. Mm -hmm. J.C. Horn is a young cornerback. Derek Brown, Brian Burns, they are key pieces along the defensive line. And we both like Frankie Louvu. We'll see exactly how he can be used in this scheme that is going to be a base 3-4. But how attractive do you think this defense is to a new defensive coordinator? And is Brian Burns the most attractive piece? Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, when you can get a guy with 17 tackles for loss and 12 and a half sacks, that's definitely going to attract you because your pass rush has a foundation player, you know Derek Brown can provide a little bit of interior pass rush even though you're going to uh, have him switching positions and then like you said, Louisville had seven sacks as well, so there's some pieces there to let you know that pass rush can be had, it's just figuring out the rest of that puzzle and giving them the help that they need to be able to increase their level of production as well as the entire defense's level of production sack-wise. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how it all comes together we can get to some more of their comments in the next segment and also discuss some college basketball big night in the ACC last night with North Carolina hanging on NC State getting the victory we can get to that in just a moment but we will continue the college basketball conversation by talking about the Big South and in particular UNC Asheville who better to talk about an excellent Bulldog season than bringing on the head coach via the Body Works Plus guest hotline Mike Morell joining us now coach thanks so much for hopping on with us man how are you well, I'm doing great, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. We wanted to have you on to talk about this fantastic season. And really, lately, you guys have been playing excellently. So you guys are on a five-game winning streak. Before that, you went on what was close to a double-digit streak, if I'm not mistaken, just trying to count it up here. How have you guys been able to play so well, especially here lately, Coach? And what's been clicking for you? Well, we got a veteran group, you know, a group that's played a lot of minutes, both here at uh, UNC Asheville and and uh, at other places around the country, as, as you all know, you know, the, uh, the transfer portal is, is something that's came into the game the last few years where, where guys can move around and not sit out. And, you know, we, we've utilized that here, been the beneficiary of it. And so, you know, we've got guys in our program who have just got a lot of experience. So I think that's helped us, um, you know, again, having guys from both our program and other winning programs um, who understand that, you know, once you get past the non-league schedule, that this is really what you, you know, what you play for. And you know, we're, we're in the big South, you know, we're a one bid, we're a one bid league, you know, so a lot of it boils down to your regular season and, uh, you know, getting the best seed that you can in the tournament, you okay. know, and so. Well, sorry, Coach. No, I was just going to say, I mean, continuing to look at the season that you've had, I, I, you look at the stats, the thing that jumps out to me is the efficiency from really your top five scores, right? I mean, Drew Pember shooting 38% from three, but also 47 from the field. The next two scores are both shooting over 50% from the field. The, all five are really efficient. You know, how much have you really put focus on taking the right shots and allowing them to not only score with big volume, but also hitting as many shots as you can? Um, with the uh, amount of field goal attempts taken? Yeah, great question. It helps having one of the best offensive players in the country, you know, and Drew Pember. He leads the country in, in free throws uh, made. 
um, which, you know, really helps the guys around him because so much focus is put on him. And, um, you know, Tajon Jones is going to leave here the all-time leading scorer. So we've just got, you know, you know, a really good offensive team. But you know, your point's exactly right. You know, you tr- you're not going to make every shot. You try to focus on the good ones. Um, and, and I think our team has done a really good job of that. And, um, you know, I think our defense with, with our pressure leads to a lot of the easy offensive baskets that we get as well. Coach Wes Bryant here, and you guys are one win shy of the program record. Uh, how much do you think about that? Is that even a factor when you think about your team this season, or you just let the chips fall how they may? Well, Wes, when you win four games in your first year like I do, yeah, there's no way that you wouldn't think that <laughs> you would think about that. I mean, I think there's, there's uh, you know, I think it's more of how much do you focus on it, you know, and, and um, you know, we, we, we talk all the time about the difference between motivation and discipline. And, you know, the discipline is just to come in here and have a really good day today and, you know, knowing that we're going to, you know, we're going to have a chance, you know, on Saturday to, to, to get, you know, the 24th win. But, um, you know, we, we never really talked about it, honestly, until we clinched the Big South title this past Saturday. And I think, you know, now that guys have felt some success, you know, that obviously they, they want to achieve as many of those, you know, uh, records, if you will, that, that they can. And, and um, you know, we, we know there's, there's hopefully a lot more chapters in our book to this season. Now, you guys' this program, the last time you went undefeated at home was in 1997-98, and you guys are undefeated at home right now. Uh, what is it about you guys that they get so excited for playing at home? What's the atmosphere like and why you guys have been able to be so good at home this year? Yeah, we, we've had, you know, I tell people this all the time, you know, coaching and COVID, man, you have, I, I know for me, just personally, man, you've got really got an appreciation for fans being back in the seat. Um, and so, you know, here we've had great crowds this year, especially once we've gotten to the conference schedule. That's, that's obviously helped uh, both from our students and from our community here at Asheville. But, um, you know, and, and then again, you know, there's nothing like sleeping in your own bed, but I think our guys have really bought into the fact of protecting you know, our home court, and we've had a lot of close games here at home, too. So we definitely, I mean, if you're going to pay your, you're going to pay your 10, 15 bucks to get in the door, we're going we're gonna to make it entertaining mm-hmm. for you around here. UNC Asheville basketball coach Mike Morell joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. And you talked about that four-win season that you had just a few years ago. I mean, coach, you had the four-win year. And then the next year is when COVID hits at the very end of the season. And now you're just trying to get out from, you know, bringing all of these guys, making your philosophy stick with some players long term. How hard was that to navigate and get here to a point where you are able to clinch the Big South title before the regular season ends? Yeah, it, it was hard. Um, you know, I came from the University of Texas, um, you know, and, and you never, you know, you never dream you're going to take your first head coaching job and go in there and win four games. But you know, guys, it was it was a couple years before the portal as well. So mm-hmm. I had ten scholarships when I got here. Well, if you take a transfer, you know, they're not going to be able to help you in year one because they're sitting out. And then, so you know, I mean, you're 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 tasked with taking a bunch of freshmen, and you're not going to bat a thousand on that. And as you guys know, I mean, even the greatest programs around the country, it's hard to win with freshmen. And mm-hmm. uh, we started four of them, and most of those guys matured and grew. You know, throughout. Um, you know, my, my fifth year here. And then we were able to plug transfers in around them, you know, Drew Pember and Caleb Burgess and Fletcher Avey guys that start for us now. And 
So uh, it was just it was incremental growth that led to you know really nice success. But I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it wasn't hard. It was very very challenging, but you know, now that we are where we're at, very, very rewarding as well. Well, and Wes asked you about the record-winning season that you guys are on the verge of and potentially getting that, but also, I mean, this is a pretty successful program. If you look back since 2010, you've been to the NCAA tournament three different times, getting there uh, a couple of different instances. How hard is it to kind of keep guys focused on the, the cliche, I guess, just one game at a time and not keep them looking ahead at, hey, if we run this thing, we can get to the tournament maybe maybe even make some noise with how great our offense is. Yeah. Uh, you know, Drew Pember uh, wants to be a coach. And so we meet a couple times a week and watch film and try to look at it through it, through the lens of a coach's perspective and told him, you know, last week after we clinched, I said, man, this is going to be a case study in coaching right here because we got two games left and we've already clinched the regular season title. You know, what's our approach mm-hmm. going to be? And so I think, uh, it, it really is. I, you know, I worked for Shaka Smart for eight years at VCU and at Texas, and we never won a regular season title, but we went to the NCAA tournament, I think, seven out of eight times. So it's been different for me, too. Um, but it, it's, you know, you're definitely navigating. It's what I will say it's a good problem to have. Don't get me wrong. Like, we're not going to sit here and, and, and gripe about it, but it is exactly what you said. It's not just one game at a time. It's one day at a time. Like we got to try to come in here later today and have a good day of practice. And that will not only get us ready for Saturday, but get us ready for next, um, you know, next Friday in the Big South tournament as well. Yeah, Coach, you talk about the Big South Tournament. You guys will go into it as the number one seed with the best record. What do you tell your team in these in these moments, and you know how prepared are they to be the hunted in this tournament? Yeah, that's that's different for us, you know, because we've usually been the hunter here, and um, you know, I think going into the tournament and what we've seen really over the course of the last. You know, probably the back end of, of our, our league schedule is, is we have been the hunted, and I, I think our maturity and experience has helped us. So I don't know how much we really talk about it because I think we've already been in the, been the hunted uh, some already. Um, you know, we were at Radford last um, last Thursday night. You know, we were, we were essentially playing for that number one seed on the road on national television, and I thought our guys did a great job going up there and really taking the game. So... Um, but it, it, it's definitely something that if you are surprised at being the hunted, then you, you know, you go end up, you go end up being food for somebody. That is head coach Mike Morell of the UNC Asheville Bulldogs basketball program joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline talking about already what has been a fantastic season, but continuing that in the Big South tournament. And you know what? We're going to be out there next Friday at Bojangles Coliseum. So it's going to be awesome to watch some high quality basketball. Coach, thanks so much for joining us and good luck in the conference and possibly the NCAA tournament. Hey, guys, appreciate you having me on. See you next Friday. Absolutely. Really appreciate that. Very cool to kind of get some storylines here locally, whether it be Queens when we talk with Mike Glennon or Kenny Dye becoming the all-time leading scorer, getting to talk to UNC Asheville coach Mike Morell on a 23-7 and regular season, primed to make the big dance as long as they take uh, t- take care of business in the conference tourney. So we can uh, talk about that a little bit later on. Plus, we'll be out there, so it should be a lot of fun. More Carolina Panthers conversation on the other side of the break. It's Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
Preston Walker on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Appreciate you joining us. Big thanks to Mike Morell, UNC Asheville head basketball coach. We'll put that interview on our website, WFNZ.com. You can also text and share your thoughts and comments on the Garage Door Guru text line. 704-570-9610. The way you can do that is by making fun of me, which is what Casey Steve did. At least just a little bit. No, it's all the love. The video is going ham. Well, the video is, wise, we, like we can I get to that in would. just a moment. But Casey Steve, he did write in and he said, speaking of basketball, I checked out the Queens game on ESPN Plus last night. Was really impressed by your commentary, Walker. Big shout, Casey Steve. Thank you very much. He did say, quick question, though. Do you always look like you just ate an edible? Slowest <laughs> blinking ever. The answer is yes. I'm telling you, we've talked about it before. Every single time somebody asks me to pose for a photo, I always look high. And I don't it, I don't want it to be that way. It is absolutely Chandler being in Friends. And I don't want that case where I just can't look at the camera and look normal. But me opening my eyes wide, at least the feeling, it, it looks normal on camera. But every time I take a picture, it doesn't matter. I just, I do look like I ate an edible. And it doesn't matter. So even <laughs> even on TV, it doesn't matter if it's a picture. doesn't matter if it's video. That's just the way I look. And so Casey Steve is not the first, second, or 50th person to say that. There's been a million. Yeah, I mean, Stanford P, I think he said the same thing. Yeah, he's, yeah he said a bunch of expletives. And then he said, yes, you always look gassed. I do. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't think it looks like oh, that I'm normal. So sorry. It doesn't look like that normal, right? Like, do I look no. gassed now? No. But you put a camera in front of my face, might as well just be a joint. That's what it might be. 100%. 704-570-9610. Again, feel free to text uh, some of your thoughts and comments. I do want to get to one comment from Deuce Staley, who was uh, talking to media, if not now, just finished up talking to media. And this is what he said. He wants three running backs. He likes using three different running backs, Mm -hmm. which explains what they were doing in Detroit. Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift. Craig Reynolds, maybe? I'm trying to think of the other third one. But those two, certainly, and then maybe one mixed in every now and then. And he said he likes using three different running backs because the position is still like being in a, quote, car wreck. Isn't that a crazy way to describe playing one specific position in football? And I said that to you before we started to hop on the mic. And you were like, yeah, I've watched people play fullback, watching those running backs at Florida no, thank you. Like being in a car wreck, that's a crazy way to accurately describe that position. Well, I mean, you've heard a lot of people over the years say that about football in general. And that is basically what it is when they say you put your body in a car wreck, especially playing on the line. Like a lot of people talk about how that's putting your body through a car crash 70, 80 times uh, in a game and in a practice and things like that. And that is, you know, what it's like, especially when you get the contact from some distance, when you have to pull or different things like that. But just, you know, even on the the most intimate levels, think about being across from a guy three yards across from a 270, 280-pound guy, and you guys just colliding over and over and over again. And then imagine being a running back or a fullback coming through there at full speed, and guys are coming at you full speed and trying to knock your head off. All right, tell me if I'm correct about this. Uh-huh. If I were to rank the craziest positions for a football team, mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out if it's if it's a heavily used fullback, that might be number one. Or or is it linebacker always number one, no matter even if the fullback is heavily involved in like an eye formation or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you talk about that front seven and the offensive line, you know, that's gonna be the most contact, 
you know, as far as just play in, play out. So you think offensive line more crazy, quote unquote, than fullback or linebacker? I didn't say more crazy, but Uh I'm just saying that the fact that those are the positions that get the most contact. You don't get practices off. You know, you don't get plays off in a game. There's always going to be contact of some sort. But as far as the most high-speed collisions, yeah, it's linebacker and running back. Yeah, 704 number, all caps, linebacker. You're just seeking collision every time. Running backs get to pick and choose when they see collision, right? Sometimes you have more physical style, but they're trying to run away from all of the tacklers. Linebackers are seeking high-intensity, high-speed tackles all the time. And if it's not high-speed, then you're getting involved at the line of scrimmage, too, with all the big guys that are heavier than you. I mean, that linebacker, to me, that's that's a nuts position. Yeah, you have to, you know, because a linebacker, you don't know what's going to happen. You're reacting, and then there's lots of things going on around you at the same time. I mean, this 320-pound guard is coming at me, or this fullback might be coming at me, and I still have to get off of that and go make a play on a football, which is probably going to be another high-speed collision. (laughs) Uh, Gunner on special teams, Joe Gibbs Jr. wrote in. Special teams, I think... If you're talking about the biggest bang per it's, hit. It's hard for sure. You just, just don't get a, as many reps. Correct. Right? Yeah. Like linebacker, it's every play. With a gunner on special teams, you know, it, it's what? Yeah, maybe eight reps. If you if you have a bad offense, you know, because you're talking yeah. about the gun on a punt team. Yeah, you might have five, mm-hmm. four or five reps on average. Where does safety rank? Safety's up there, too, especially if you play in the box a lot. It's mm-hmm. up there because, like I said, you're definitely going to have a lot of high-end collisions because you're coming downhill to make a lot of those plays. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right, though. Just playing football in general is crazy. It's just just a lot of it is. <laughs> There's so yeah. many. It's a kid's game, though, as, as a lot of people like to put it, which one is <laughs> dumbest phrases ever. When, when is – I don't know. Have we had this conversation about the the one time or the, the biggest time you got – knocked out where you just had a big old high-speed collision and you took an L on that one? Because I mean, most football players have that kind of conversation where they have that L that they've taken. I got blindsided um, once in – what happened? Was well, it in college? Once in middle school. That okay. wasn't a blindside. Then once in high school, I got blindsided pretty good. And then in college, though, I never got a really, really bad hit because my head was on a swivel, man. <laughs> I was not going to get caught lacking. I know if we threw an interception or something, I was looking around. Like, I was still going to move and try to make a play, but I was looking around. I was not going to get de-cleated. Um, Continuing to break down some of Deuce Staley's comments, mm-hmm. you were talking about it before we hopped Turd. on the air, too. Is that for Deuce Staley? <laughs> I'm not in the business of wanting to say that to that man. Exactly. I do not want him to hear that at all. Speaking of dangerous running backs, I do, I do think Deuce Staley probably seeked out collisions every it's single time. It's funny, though, that he said that he likes three backs because he was a feature back, and that was back in the era to where guys were getting 20, 25 carries a game. Wasn't that? No, I, I thought Andy Reid, though, kind of like did the whole Westbrook, Staley, Buckhalter type thing. I thought they kind of yeah, but then it. there were some seasons where he was the guy, and he, he did the bulk of the carrying. Well, and I guess it would take one to know one, right? Like yeah. Deuce Staley, if he is the physical running back, then it would take one to yeah, know one was. as far as mixing the bag a little bit when you bring in a lot of different running backs. And so Joe Person, just kind of following along with him, tweeting out some of those comments, he said that he asked about the importance of re-signing Deontay Foreman. And he said, it's super high for me, but my last name ain't Fitterer. That's what Deuce Staley said. And so when I was referencing a conversation we had before we hopped on the mic, you were discussing Ajero Avero when he was asked about Shaq Thompson, yeah. who 
very likely, or very possibly, I should say, if you like that phrasing better, mm-hmm. could be a cap casualty. And it's not because he's a bad player. He's still one of the better linebackers in the league. He's still a good one, right? Top third in the league, I guess. Whatever, right? We could talk about that a different day. But still could help this football team. It's just the money is too much right now. Yeah. And the cap hit is way too much. And so Avera was asked about that, and he said, that's way above my pay grade. Yeah. And you didn't love that answer. And so he was asked about a specific player. And he deflected, saying that's above my pay grade, didn't really touch it. Here's Deuce Staley saying it's super high for me, yeah. saying he wants to keep Deontay Foreman, yeah. but that he's not the GM. What do you make about each of these comments from different coaches? <laughs> uh, it's on brand for Deuce Staley because from what I saw from him from Hard Knocks, he strikes me as a no-nonsense guy that's going to say what's on his mind. As far as Evero is concerned, uh, I am starting to form opinions of him as I look off in, into space Boom! and I think about this because – you know, he says it's above my pay grade. I, I can't stand when people say stuff like that. Like, you're the defensive coordinator, man. You're making a lot of money, too. You can be decisive about things that you want to say and be like, oh, it's above my pay grade. And then I also had uh, issues with the comments when they asked him about the, the head coaching um, interview process. And then he deflected off that when he had an opportunity where he could have spoke on minority hirings and stuff like that. So I'm already starting to form a bit of an opinion on Everett. <laughs> based off of his it press sounds conference. glowing right so yeah you can tell you know by where we're going but as far as just you know i mean if you want shaq thompson say so you run a three four defense dog you need inside linebackers say i would love to have him back like i'm cool with it. i would love to have him back whether the panthers choose to do so that's on but, them but i'd love to have him back let me ask you this though what if he doesn't like well, what, what if he wants to move on he's not going to say i don't really want him this is exactly <laughs> the type of say he would say right like i don't that maybe that, maybe that's maybe that is what it meant that doesn't mean that right yeah. but if, if he doesn't want him then this is the kind of thing he might say yeah and if he does then he might speak out louder a little bit more about it and maybe, say maybe i do want to keep Shaq it, Thompson. but off the previous the other thing i said that he said about the you know the the hiring process and stuff i feel like that probably wasn't the way he was going but that is a good theory i like what you said that could have been the case too okay yeah so <laughs> we'll see that'd be awkward you'd be a good lawyer yeah there you go uh <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't though i i probably wouldn't i'm not smart enough let's go to the text line real quickly i do like this people are starting to share sometimes where they just got knocked the bleep out on a football field i like keep sending those text messages and even if you played basketball got blindsided somehow in an in-paint collision whatever i want to hear about some pain that you experienced playing sports whether it's rec ball whatever level you played at 980 number said i got blindsided by brandon spikes one time he was Whoa. playing me back, and uh, he got me very good. Did he go to Crest? Yes. Is that right? Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. That's what I was trying to think. Brandon Spikes. Yeah, yeah not monster. surprised about that. Dang. Wasn't he a dirty player? I don't remember him. In the, like in the NFL, wasn't he a dirty guy? Maybe a little bit. I don't remember that, or though. Or, or, or is that Takeo Spikes? Fitty going to have a lot of people up here waiting on him. I know. Yeah, Fitty. They're full of insults. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I'm I guess. just asking a question. Like, I, I feel like I remember <laughs> he got into like an incident one time. Uh, and I, he got labeled as a dirty player. Yeah, maybe I, I don't remember. Yeah, maybe. We can look it up. We'll get a research team on it. And finally, another texter said, I played punt return, never fair caught the ball because I rarely got the ball. But let's just say I've lost my helmet multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> that fair catch would be your fr- uh, best friend every now and then. Yeah, man. All right. Let's go to the first Dang. Fitty flash of the day. What you got for us, Fitty? Well, guys, in case you were wondering, Aaron Rodgers has emerged safely from his darkness retreat, according to Scott Berman, who owns Sky Cave Retreats, where Rodgers was. He stayed in a 300-square-foot room 
which was devoid of light. It had a queen bed, a bathroom, and a meditation-like mat. It is fully powered, and the lights can be turned on from inside the room. What do we think Rogers accomplished in his four-day absence from the real world? You know, it's funny because we make fun of it, and I'm all here for the jokes. I bet he finds this valuable, though. I mean, that's just the kind of guy that Aaron Rodgers is. He's a weird dude. He is very much of the mantra, the spirit, the sage, burning all of that and meditating, trying to figure out the answers to the biggest questions in life. I bet he did find he's going to sell it. He's going to sell it like he found something. So I bet he found all of the answers during this darkness retreat that he just went on for multiple weeks. Yeah, he's probably going to find how many more ways could I lose in the playoffs? How many more ways could I make everything about me? How many more teammates could I throw under the bus? So, yeah, he probably did get a lot of clarity. What do you think I would do in a 300-square-foot room for four days? I think I you'd lose your mind. Yeah, I don't want to. You, you can handle that's it? that. That's, that's all you think I would do? Well, you'd yell a lot at yourself. You would go crazy. I don't think you can handle that. You need somebody to yell at, or you need a reflection to yell at yourself, maybe. You just need to be angry. And I don't know. I'd, I'd be scared of you more so in solitary confinement more so than anybody else. I think that's an accurate depiction of what you would be like. I'm not touching it. Yeah, I'm not either. Maybe he would, though. It's Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We'll be back with Wilson Walker. WFNZ. We'll visit the campus corner in just a moment. But first, I want to talk to you about Charlotte FC. Major League Soccer is now in season, and the WFNZ Jack Daniels Doghouse is open for business. The uh, the Doghouse doors will open up three hours before every home match. So stop by and get ready for kickoff with some of your favorite friends. You can join us for the pregame and postgame parties at the Jack Daniels Doghouse, coming to you live from the Audi Charlotte studio and brought to you by Jack Daniels, Pepsi, and powered by the Garage Door Guru text line, only from Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, the exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan. Take us the rest of the way, Wes. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Weston Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Let's go to the campus, Kona. All right, last night, the Tar Heels, they got to win if you want to call it that, but I guess with the way things have been going lately, you'll take them any way you can get them. They missed 20 of their first 25 shots. They set season lows for points and a half with 19 and field goal percentage and a half. They shot 18% and a half, okay? They won despite shooting 33% overall, and three-point field goal percentage was 8 Point seven, just two of twenty-three from three. So I ask you out there, Tar Heel Nation, and I ask you, Walker Mail and Fitty, you could jump in on this. Do we accept this Tar Heel victory with everything that's been going on? You'll just take it how you can get it, or was this just as bad as a loss? No, it's definitely not as bad as a loss because if you did, if you did lose this game, then I'm not sure. Both quad one wins against Virginia and Duke would matter to get you in the NCAA tournament. I mean, if you lose this game, that only hinders your chances that much more to where they were the first four out. Like, we've been talking about their season being crazy on the line. According to Lenardi, depending on how much credence you give as that being gospel, right? 
you're still not crazy far out right now. If you would have lost to Notre Dame, I, I don't know how you get back in the tournament, especially if you lose one of those games to Virginia or Duke. You still got to take care of business. And in the second half, you did see a lot more from them, right? They did score 44 points. They did up the defensive intensity, at least at the beginning, to show some fight and get back into this game. It doesn't mean you feel great about North Carolina, but this win, certainly better than a loss, despite them playing an awful first half. Um... I feel like that I'll give them credit. A win is a win is a win. But, man, there are definitely levels to this. And when you lose, I mean, when you win in this type of fashion, it's kind of a forecast just for things to come. you got Virginia on the horizon who's going to be angry after the egg that they laid last night. I think this was pretty rough for Carolina to shoot the ball so bad. It's plagued them all season long. So, um, like I said, Carolina, they can enjoy this victory, but it doesn't bode well for them going forward to shoot the ball so bad. Fiddy, what do you got? The thing I took away from it was the first time all year long while they were putrid on offense, they stay engaged defensively. They defended their asses off, and that's the first time I could really say that all season long. In the second half, right? No, the first half, they give up a point till 14 minutes left to go in the first half. I guess they did hit some shots that were open on the perimeter. I guess you're right. Like, inside, they were playing a lot better. They did hit some shots Notre Dame did from the perimeter, though. Yeah, I mean, look, they held Notre Dame to 40% shooting from the field, 30% shooting from three. They mauled them on the boards. They outscored them in the paint. They did all they did all the little things you got to do when you don't when you don't shoot the ball well. And that's what they haven't done all year long is when they haven't shot the ball well, the effort in the other areas of the game wasn't there. That wasn't the case last night. It wasn't pretty, but I don't care about pretty right now. Put lipstick on a pig, Damon. I want to win basketball games. All right, so now NC State last night, Jarkel Joyner gave them his second straight 29-point game. Big DJ Burns had 21 points. They shot 64% combined from the field. Those two did, and they defeated my Demon Deacons, who lost. Damari Monsanto last night uh, in the game at the end of the first half and what looked like a horrific injury. He was helped off the court. Tyree Appleby had 19 points, four assists, but NC State got the job done. And another victory. Uh, Coach Forbes said after the game last night that this NC State team looked like a team primed to do damage and the ACC and NCAA tournaments. Do we agree with Coach Forbes' assessment of the pack? 100%. I absolutely agree with that sentiment about NC State. We always talk about guard play, explosive guards like Jarkel Joyner and certainly Terquavion Smith. That is going to go a long way once you get to the big dance. And even if your guards aren't hitting from the outside, what DJ Burns has done here recently, it's been absolutely incredible. All the, do- all the guy does is hit really tough tough shots and be efficient while doing so playing 31 minutes hitting a eight of 11 from the field hits his free throws when he does go to the line and scores over 20 I think when you're talking about Terquavion who will have big time inefficient nights like that's not something foreign to him they still win and against a Wake Forest team that I like like this mm-hmm. is not some pushover Demon Deacon team yeah. this is a team that makes it tough for the opponents and even still allowing 46 points they beat you because they scored 52 in the first half yeah I I love what NC State's doing right now. Very impressed with them. Uh, NC State's just going to have to show me. Through our history, they've kind of not been, uh, you know, the team that you think they would be at times. 
Wake Forest still shot 52% from the field. They made nine plus threes in this game. So NC State's defense, when you look at the game earlier this season against Miami as well, they still gave up a lot of points. So defensively, they can leave a little bit to be desired, but they do have the requisite firepower, though, to do some damage. ACC tournament, I think they can do some damage, but uh, NCAA, I'm going to hold out hope on that. And then what in the world happened? To the Virginia Cavaliers last night. They go up to play Boston College. They score a season-low 48 points. They shot 27% from the field. Now, Boston College, this was no fluke. They've beaten three ranked teams this season. My man Earl Grant, one of my favorite coaches uh, in the league, they got a huge upset. They are now in a second-place tie with Pittsburgh in the ACC standings, one and a half games, or one half game behind Miami. They shot 4 of 21 from the three-point arc. And this is a team that Virginia, if they're not shooting threes, they can't really score as evidenced by last night because they're 12th in the ACC in scoring offense, third, though, in three-point field goal percentage, and eighth in three-point field goals made. So what do we make of what happened to Virginia? Did this lessen your opinion, or was this just a blip on the radar for the Cavaliers? That offensively, this the fear is real, and it's been there the entire season. We know that Virginia, their calling card, is that they're going to play excellent pack line defense, and I get all of that. But in the past, when even defense has been their calling card, they've had guys that could go get you a bucket because their whole offensive system is being extremely efficient per possession, even if you don't have a lot of offensive possessions per game. Well, with this Virginia roster right now, who is somebody that you can rely on and say, okay, when the when the, we only score 21 points, mind you, I believe that was only two more points in the first half than North Carolina, who we're talking about having like an all-time awful 20 minutes of basketball offensive and Virginia only scored two more than what they did against Notre Dame. If you're looking at Virginia, I just think offensively that is what is going to be a real problem for them. And Boston College, too, like Ashton Langford, efficient, right? Yeah, Zachary, efficient. So, you know, they, they were hitting shots at a pretty nice rate. And at Virginia, if they're not defending, if they're not making the other team inefficient, then yeah. I, I don't believe in them. That's why I think we've all kind of accepted Miami as the best team in the conference. Yeah, Armand Franklin, you know, has been one of the better players in the ACC this season, as has Reese Beekman, but they combined to go 4 of 18 uh, from the field last night. So they did a good job on those two guys. But when we return, we are going to talk about the big boys up front, the offensive line on the Carolina Panthers. What do they need? Where does this offensive line look like it is headed? You are immersed in the West and Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.